Well, Merry Christmas, Warehouse Church. And Merry Christmas to those of you that are watching online as well. It's so good to be with you today and to celebrate. It's hard to believe this is our last time together in person in 2022. The next time that we will be together, it will be a new year. And, uh, and so it's hard for, just hard for me to imagine that. And so, uh, so I wanted to say Merry Christmas, Christmas to you in person. Uh, but don't forget, next week we'll have a Christmas, Eve, or Christmas Day online. And so you can watch with us online at 11 o'clock. And we want you to be there for that. And I'll tell you more about that later. Uh, but I'm so excited to be here with you. If you're a guest with us, my name is Rick. And I have the joy and privilege of being the pastor here. And, uh, and I'm so excited that we get to talk about Christmas together. And so we have, uh, this week we're wrapping up our teaching series called The Gift Exchange. And, uh, but before we do, uh, every week during uh, December, we've been giving away a gift. And, uh, and so this morning, I chose the person that has been here the most uh, consecutive Sundays in a row. And, uh, and so Diane Akers was the winner this morning. Um, but today, I, or this, this service, I want to give this gift to someone, um, who, uh, someone who's selfless, someone who has um, just gives and gives and gives of their time. Uh, gives and gives and gives of their resources, cares about people, and is constantly spreading the light and the good news of Jesus to people. And so, um, so if that, uh, I know who that person is, so I'm not even going to ask you to raise your hands. I just want Spring Deeds to come up here. So Spring Deeds, come up here, because we want to give you a gift today. And uh, you are always giving giving and giving. You're giving stuff away to people, always giving stuff away. You're giving food, you're giving clothes, uh, boxes of gloves and hats and blankets and all that stuff. And so today we wanted, I wanted to give you a gift. Like I wanted you to know what it feels like to receive a gift, but your promise, you got to promise me, you're not going to give this away. Okay. So you got to make a promise. You're not going to give it away. Uh, this is a gift for you. And, uh, and so it's something that will warm your heart in the winter months. So go ahead and open it up, open it up. So uh, let's see what it is. It is a heated blanket, so uh, you cannot give that away. You've got to use that this winter, okay? I know it's going to be hard, but thank you for being selfless. Yeah, absolutely. So I love, if you have never, um, if you don't know what Spring does, she is always out there in the community. Uh, she's constantly just giving of her time and her energy to people. And uh, so just Merry Christmas to you, and I'm so thankful for what you do. Uh, and thank you for being Jesus down here and, and, and taking care of the people that need it. And so, um, like I said, this week we're wrapping up this series on the gift exchange, and I thought I'd start it out in a different way. But before I do, let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to be with us today. Father God, I thank you so much. Uh, Lord, for the gift of worship, God, I thank you that we get the chance to come together and, Lord, to celebrate uh, Christmas and to celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus, and how you sent Jesus from up there to down here to rescue us um, many times from ourselves and from our sin. And so, Father, we, we're so excited about that. And, Father, I pray right now as we open up your word, Lord, that you would remove the scales from our eyes. God, you would unplug our ears and you would soften our hearts so that we could see, hear, and know exactly what it is that you have for us. Because Lord, I believe that you have a message for every single person in this room today. We love you. Thanks for loving us in the many ways that you do. In your name we pray. Amen. So let me ask you a question. How many of you all like roller coasters? Anyone like roller coasters in the house? All right. A bunch of you do. How many of y'all don't like roller coasters? Like raise your hand if you don't. All right. That's okay. Uh, and uh, so uh, I love roller coasters, and, uh, and I want to see how many of y'all are like really like roller coasters. So how many of y'all would ride this roller coaster right here? Uh, oh man, a bunch of hands went up really fast. So if you don't know what this roller coaster is, it's called the Jersey Devil. And uh, the Jersey Devil is the world's tallest 
fastest and longest single rail roller coaster, and it's three stories high. It has a 130 foot drop. So that first drop right there is 130 feet. Uh, it uh, reaches speeds up to 58 miles an hour, uh, and it can be found at Six Flags uh, Great Adventure in New Jersey. And so the Jersey Devil. Now I like, like I said, I love roller coasters. I love riding roller coasters. As I get older, I can't do them as much as I used to, uh, and uh, and so, but but we love them as a family. We love going to theme parks and we love trying out new roller coasters. And uh, as a family, and Jackson and I this summer, we got to go to Kings Island with the students, and man, we had such an amazing time riding some new roller coasters. There is one roller coaster in Kings Dominion I will never ride again because I still have bruises from this day and a concussion from that roller coaster. I don't even remember the name of it because it beat me that hard. But uh, but I love roller coasters, and uh, and 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 I, I know that some of you do as well. And and um, but here's the deal: while I love roller coasters. I don't really like it when my life is a roller coaster. Anyone agree with that? Like, I love roller coasters, but I hate it when my life feels like it's one big roller coaster filled with ups and downs. And, and I would much prefer to live in the peaks, right? Like, I would much prefer to be going up and into that peak moment. Uh, and there's just that moment, like, right before you're about to drop. I'm okay there. But man, I hate it when you have to live down in the valleys and when you fall down into the valleys and are dark, those dark moments in life. But, but isn't that realistic? I mean, it's, not just real, it's just not realistic uh, to live on the peaks. Like our lives, all of our lives uh, are like a roller coaster. All of our lives have ups and downs. All of our lives have peaks and valleys. All of our lives have these moments where we're like, yes, and celebrating. And all those have moments where we're like, man, I can't wait to get out of this valley that I'm in. And so that's what we've been talking about this Christmas season is how uh, this morning we're going to look at a psalm. We're looking at a psalm in the Old Testament that's a picture of David's life. And David's life uh, was much like a roller coaster. And in and, and this psalm, he talks about the roller coaster that he went on. And it's a psalm that tells us about some of the highs and some of the lows. And it tells us about how God turned those low moments around. And, and that's what, like I said, we've been talking about this Christmas season. We've been talking about how when Jesus came to this earth, that he was born in a manger and he made it possible because he came from up there to down here. Jesus made it possible to turn things around in our lives. And some of us just need to hear that this morning, that Jesus came, that the whole reason for Christmas is that he came so that he could turn our lives around. And the first week, we talked about how God can, how we can give God our worries for his peace, but not just any kind of peace, his supernatural peace, his peace that passes all understanding. And week, last week, we realized that we can exchange our hurts. We can exchange our hurts for God's perfect and amazing comfort. And this morning, this morning, we'll see uh, that, that Jesus, our God, coming from up there to down here, Made it, makes it possible for us to exchange our grief for his joy. To exchange our grief for his joy. We've all experienced grief in our lives. All of us had. Some of us are uh, coming out of a time of grief. Some of us are going into a time of grief. Some of us might be in the middle of a time of grief. But we've all experienced grief. Now, when we think of the word grief, we often connect it or we think of it in connection with the death of a loved one. 
And so we say we're grieving the loss of a loved one, and, and grief is that. But I want you to know that grief is so much bigger than that. That grief is so much broader than just the loss of a loved one. And, and so let me just share this definition of grief with you. Grief is the conflicting feelings caused by the end of or the change in a familiar pattern of behavior. And so according to this definition, grief can happen in a lot of different circumstances. Like grief can happen when, when I move from one city to another. Like when, when Jen and I, when our family, when we moved from Florida to Kentucky, there was a time of grieving for us. We grieved the beaches, right? We grieved uh, our family that we left behind. We grieved warm weather, like we grieved those things. There was a time of grief from moving. So grief can be moving from one city or state to another. It can even happen moving from one house to another in the same city. Like there's memories that you have in, in a house. There's memories that you make and, and you grieve when you leave one house and move into another. There's, there's grief that takes place because you're leaving behind some of those amazing memories that you had there. So grief can even happen when you move from one house to another. Uh, it can happen uh, when you change jobs. Grief can happen when you change jobs, when you have different responsibilities, even at your current job. Uh, grief can happen, or maybe you get a promotion, which is a good thing, but you can still experience grief because maybe that promotion led you to moving departments. So you're no longer around the same people that you've built relationships with, and you no longer see them, and there's this moment of grief where you go through grief as you get this promotion. I know that for a lot of people that retire, they experience grief. That there's a time of grief. Uh, there was a guy at one of our churches named Tim. And, and I remember Tim worked for the state of Florida. He worked for the state of Florida for like 30 some years. And, uh, and he retired. And, and when he retired, when he didn't have to get up and he didn't have to check in, he didn't have to go to work and he didn't have to see the same people that he used to see every day, he experienced grief. Like there was, he felt blue, he felt grief, he felt sad. He, he didn't know what to do with the time that he now had. Uh, and he was lost. There was this moment of grief. And so we can all experience grief in a lot of different ways. It's a normal part of life. We all will have grief. And, and when we get, where we get into trouble, though, with grief, because it's normal and we experience it, but when we get into trouble is when we deal with grief in the wrong way. That when you and I, when we, when we experience grief, whether it's the loss of a loved one, moving to a new town, whatever the case may be, that when we experience grief, if we don't handle it the right way, we can get ourselves into trouble. And that's why this morning we're going to look at this psalm that David wrote and, and to help us understand how we can give our grief to Jesus in exchange for his joy. That there's actually appropriate ways to hand off our grief so that we might experience this joy that we just sang about from Jesus. And so if you have your Bibles, I just want to invite you to open up with me to Psalm chapter 30, and uh, that's where we're going to hang out this morning. We're going to read the whole Psalm and uh, the whole 12 verses and, and look at it together and see uh, what we can learn from David about exchanging our grief for joy. 
Now, before we read it, let me just give you some context real quick. Um, first, you need to know that David is the guy that wrote it. And so your Bible may even say in there uh, a song of David. It might say that he wrote it somewhere in the subscript, that he's the author of it. And so King David, the guy that took down the giant, is the same one that became king. He's the same one that had an affair with Bathsheba. Uh, so we all know David, and, uh, and David is the one that he wrote most of the book of Psalms, um, many of them. And, uh, and so we know that, that he's the author. And the second thing we know is that the title of it, the title of this song is called A Song for the Dedication of the Temple. That's what David wrote. That's the reason he wrote this song is for the dedication of the temple. But that, to me, that's kind of weird. Like, it's kind of weird that David would write a song for the dedication of the temple because David didn't build the temple. Like, David even wasn't even around when the temple was built. He wanted to, and he wanted to build it, and he built his palace, and it was amazing, and he wanted to build God's temple, but God told him no and told him that Solomon, his son, would be the one to build the temple. And so I thought to myself, well, how, how could it be possible? Why would David possibly write a song that was to be used at the dedication of a temple that he wasn't even going to see or be around. And, and, and some Bible scholars, some really, really brainy guys and gals that are way more smart than I am, uh, they come up with some ideas for why he wrote this. And then there's a bunch of possibilities. I'll just share three with you real quick. First, many Bible scholars believe that the Hebrew word temple is actually translated and it literally means house or dwelling place. And so some believe that maybe David's referring to the palace that he built, which was an amazing uh, piece of, uh, of art, if you will. Uh, he built this amazing palace. And so they believe that maybe that's why he wrote it, to uh, dedicate his home, but that's highly unlikely. And, and some others believe that, uh, that the second possibility is that David wrote this psalm in anticipation of uh, the building of the temple and that he planned on passing it along to his son Solomon because we know in the Bible that David was gathering all the materials to build the temple. So he's gathering all this stuff for his son, but maybe he wrote this in hopes that his son would use it, uh, but we don't see evidence of that in the Bible later on when Solomon builds the temple. And so the most likely scenario is the event that we've read before a few months ago in, the, in 2 Samuel chapter 6. When David had the Ark of the Covenant, remember David, the, the God, uh, they built this Ark of the Covenant, which was living in a tent, and so God went with them wherever they went, and, and it was gone, and they were bringing it back into Jerusalem for the first time, and they placed it inside this tent that David had built for it, and, and many believe that, uh, that this is when David wrote this, and, and if you remember, David's wife rebuked him for dancing uh, before the Lord, and, and she got all mad at him because he was dancing in the street, making a fool out of himself, and, and she was like, how dare you do that? And, and, uh, and so maybe this is the moment, and, and regardless, though, of which scenario, like regardless of which scenario, this psalm has so much to teach us about giving our grief in exchange for joy. So let's read it together, uh, Psalm 30, starting in verse 1. And, and here's, what, uh, here's what David says. He says, I will extol you or I will praise you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. So in other words, uh, right here, David saying, Lord, I praise you because you've not let my enemies get me. Uh, you have not let my enemies destroy me. You have not let my enemies uh, hold me captive. Uh, so you have not let my foes rejoice over me. Verse two, O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. 
Uh, oh Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol and restored to me, restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. So Sheol is like the place where uh, the dead go. In the Old Testament, everyone went to the same place, and uh, and and so they went to this place called Sheol, which is often called the pit. And David is reminiscing or remembering a time where he was about to die. And he says, you have brought me up, so you saved me or you rescued me from, from death. And, uh, and he says in verse 4, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name for his anger, God's anger. He says God's anger is but for a minute, and his favor is for a lifetime. Like God's anger only lasts for a short time, but his favor, his love, his, his mercy, his grace lasts for a lifetime. He says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And he says, as for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Verse seven, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. And so, so David's saying, I was full of prosperity. Like I had everything going for me. Look at what I did. And then he's like, but God, you hid your face from me. I no longer saw you. And I was saddened. I was, I was down in the valley. I was in the pit. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. So David's remembering uh, a moment where he, everything, he had everything. And he was, he was taking credit for it. And then he realized what he was doing. And he realized that he was distancing himself from God. And so he was saddened by that. And then he says, uh, he said in verse 9, what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? In other words, if I die, who's going who's gonna to lift up their praises to you, Lord? He goes, oh, Lord, be merciful to me. Be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. What does that mean? When, you, when people were grieving, when they were grieving the loss or they were grieving a, a, a circumstance that was really bad and really dark, they would put sackcloths on because sackcloths are itchy, like a potato sack, right? Like imagine just wearing a potato sack and nothing else. It, it's itchy. It's, it's burdensome. It it's bothers you. And then they would put on these sackcloths and they put ashes on their head. And, and David's remembering a time where that happened. And he says, but you, Lord, you clothed me with gladness. You took off the sackcloth and you clothed me with joy. Verse 12, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So here in this psalm, we see lots of David's highs and lows. We see the roller coaster called his life. And we see how God comes alongside him in the midst of all of those highs and lows and transforms his life. We see how God turns things around for him and how he takes David from a place of sickness to a place of, of wellness, where he takes David from a place where he's about to die to a place of life and wholeness. We see him uh, take him from a place where he's grieving with the sackcloth on and ashes on his head to a place where he can experience God's joy. And this passage teaches us something really important, something I would encourage you to write it down, and it's this idea that Jesus gives me joy in exchange for my grief. That Jesus 
joy in exchange for my grief when I view my circumstances in light of his character. That when I, when I look at who God is and I put perspective on my circumstances, in those moments when I see who God is and I see that my circumstances are, that, that in those moments I can exchange my grief for joy, but not any kind of joy, the joy that can only come from Jesus. When I begin to look around, when I begin to recognize my circumstances in light of who God is, and then and only then God can take it, take the grief and turn it into joy. He did it in David's life and he can do it in your life too. Now, this psalm has a, an interesting literary structure to it. And so many psalms have this structure. It's kind of like, how many of y'all have heard of a haiku poem? Anyone ever heard of a haiku poem? So if you went to elementary school, you probably did one. And, uh, and so like a haiku poem, this this song has a literary structure to it, and it's called a keyism. Now, we don't teach keyisms anymore. Uh, we don't use them anymore, but they were very popular uh, back in the Old Testament. And so anyone that read this psalm, they would have gone, oh, yeah, this is a keyism. And like, like we would go, oh, that's a haiku. They would go, oh, yeah, this is a keyism. And that simply means that, that the first part of the psalm mirrors the second part of the half of the psalm. So the first always has a mere part to it in the end. So let me give you some examples. So like in verse one, verse one, it says, I will extol you or I will praise you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and not let my foes rejoice over me. So David is remembering a time where God rescued him from his foes and silenced his enemies. And then verse 12 at the end, so that was the first verse. At the last verse, he says that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent, O Lord my God. I will give thanks to you forever. So in verse 1, David's enemies were silenced. And then in verse 12, David's like, I'm not going to be quiet. You can't silence me. I'm so thankful for what you done that I will give thanks to you forever. In verse two and or verse three and verse nine, we see the same thing. He says, O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, from that place of the dead. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And then in verse nine, we see the parallel of that or the mere image. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? And both of these verses, verse 3 and verse 9, they speak of Sheol. They speak of death and they speak of the pit. And David is talking about times when he almost died, times when he almost lost his life. He didn't actually die, but he was on the brink of death. And God brought him back to life. And we see and, and sees many times that while he was near death, God turned those times around. In verses 8 and 10, and we see a flashback basically of David remembering a prayer that he prayed that resulted again in God delivering him. In that prayer, David asked God to save him from death so that he could continue to praise God. And then one last example of verses 5 and 11. For in verse 5, it says, for his anger is but for a moment. God's anger is for but a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. He says, weeping may tarry for the night, but what comes in the morning? Joy. And then in verse 11, he says, you have turned me, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing, into joy. 
You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. You see, these verses are at the heart of our message this morning. And in both cases, uh, in verses 5 and 11, we see that because of God's character, because of God, who God is, his anger is slow, but his joy comes in the morning. Uh, he, he takes things that are broken. David's saying God takes things that are broken and turns them into joy. And now what a chiasm does, and everybody knew this that was reading this for the first time, uh, in a song like this, is that it puts all the focus in the middle. That when people would read this, they would know that, okay, there's these mirrored images of uh, bookends, if you will, of what's happening, but the middle is where the, the stuff is. The middle is where it's happening. And so we see this in verses 6 and 7. It's the turning point for the psalm. Because in verse 6 and 7, we really see the heart of David. And what he has to do before God will take his grief and turn it into joy. And it all revolves around this idea of understanding who God is. Like we've got to understand that in our circumstances, who God is so that he can turn our grief into joy. And David, in verse 6, he starts out pretty arrogant. Like he starts out and he says, look at all I got. He's like, God, look at all that I've done. He's like, look at me and all of my prosperity is what he says. And all of my riches and all of my goodness, look at what I did. But then he begins to understand who God is, his nature and his character. And that's what allows God to take David's grief and turn it into joy. And that can happen in our lives too. Like I want you to know that you don't have to live with your grief for your rest of your life. Like you don't have to live in grief, that God wants to exchange your grief for joy. And there's some things that we can do to help that happen. And, and we learn these from David. And the first thing we need to do is we, we need to remember how God has worked in our lives in the past. We need to remember. We need to take a look in the rearview mirror and see those moments in our lives where God has healed us or those moments in our lives where he has saved us. We, got, we need to remember those moments. Uh, what David is doing in the beginning of this psalm. He's like, God, I remember He's like, he's in grief, he's grieving. And he goes, I remember though, how you saved me when I was about to die. I was about to go in the pit, but you saved me. I remember how you healed me when I was sick. And it was this remembrance of God's character and what God did in his life and how he worked in his past that allowed David to keep moving forward. I don't know about you, but for Jen and I, we've, we've had moments of grief when we moved here, and, 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 and it, just because of the sheer um, change, like it was a change, it was a big change, and we've left family behind, and, and, and we've experienced cold like we've never experienced before, at least I have, and, and, and we've experienced things that we've never experienced before, and in those moments of grieving, we've had to come to each other and say, but remember what God has done in the past. Remember how he's been faithful to us in the past. Remember how he's never, ever let us down. He's always provided. He's always taken care of us. He's always been right. And there's been moments where we've had to look at our past and be reminded of the things that God has done in our lives so that we can exchange our grief for joy. Now, don't get me wrong. We are so excited to be in Kentucky. We're like, we can't believe it's already been a year, but it's been a year since we've been here, and, and we're so excited. But there's these moments 
of grief, if we're honest, and moments where we grieve the loss of things that we left behind. And it's in those moments that we just look back and say, but God's been faithful to us. Over the 13 years of our marriage, God has been faithful to us. Over our 40-some years of life, God has been faithful. That's her life, not mine. Mine's a little longer. God's been faithful to us. So that can happen in our lives too. We can exchange our grief for joy when we remember how God has worked in the past. And so that's what it did for David, and it's the same for us. You've got to remember how God's worked in your life. Don't forget the times where God has healed you. Don't forget the times where God has protected you. Don't forget the times where God has saved you from your sin. Remember those moments and your moments of grief. The second thing that we learn from David is that we got to remember that our troubles are only temporary. Like, we got to remember this. Like, so many of us get caught up in our our current circumstances, and we're like, this is never going to go away. We're going to be in this forever. But we need to remind ourselves that our troubles are temporary. And we see this really clearly in verse 5, when David says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning, right? Like we might experience grief for a short time, but joy's on its way. It's around the corner. God promised that joy is coming. And that word tarry, it simply means to stay overnight. That's what it means. It's a weird word. No, I say, I'm going to tarry tonight. We don't say that, but that's what it means. It means we're going to stay overnight. We're going to lodge in a place overnight. And so David is telling us that our troubles, it might last overnight. It may last a few nights. But it's not going to take up permanent residence in your life. And some of you just need to own that. Like some of you just need to say, you know what? This grief that I'm experiencing, it may last today, it may last tomorrow, it may last till next month, but it is not going to take up permanent residence in my life. Joy is on its way. Joy is coming. And so no, long, no matter how long our troubles might last on this earth too, think about it this way. Put it in perspective. No matter how long your troubles last, it's a blip. It's a blip on the radar compared to eternity. Like, think about that. Your life may be a struggle right now, but it's a blip compared to everlasting eternal life. Even even if if, if, if our griefs last all of our lives, it's a blip compared to spending eternity with God. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 8, verse 18. He says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is being revealed to us. In other words, I might be suffering a little bit right now. And we learned Paul suffered a lot. I might be suffering a little bit right now, but it's nothing compared to the joy I'm going to experience forever with Jesus. So no matter what troubles you're going through, no matter what grief you're going through, let me just remind you, It's not permanent. It will pass. The third thing I think we learned from David in the psalm is that we need to remember to be humble. We need to remember to be humble. And this is what verses 6 and 7 are all about, the center of the psalm. And as I see David's arrogant attitude, remember he says, look at all my prosperity. Look at all that I did. I think that as I see that arrogant attitude, I can't help but think that that is what led to his sin with Bathsheba. 
If you don't remember the story, I encourage you to Google it. Look back this week. I don't have the time to tell you the whole story. But the quick version is David's out on his palace. He's admiring all that he has. He sees Bathsheba down there taking a bath. He's like, oh, she's looking pretty good. I want her. Go get her. And he commits adultery with her. And then he gets caught up in that. And she gets pregnant. He's like, now what am I going to do? She's married. And he goes and kills her husband. And, uh, and so, so David uh, is like look, looking around. And he's like, all I see is all this good things that I've done. He's like, look at all my riches. Look at all this stuff that's happened in my life. I'm king. Uh, there's peace in the land. I've got money. And he gets a big head. And he starts to think that he's bulletproof and that nothing could touch him. And even when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and even when he committed murder with her husband, he thought that he could get away with it for a time. He thought he could get away with it. And for a while he did. But then it began, his sin began to eat away at him, began to eat away at his heart, and he began to feel distance between him and God. He, call, he, he, he writes it like this, that God turned his face away from him, that he no longer is in the audience of God. And, and, and he did, and as he did, he begins to eat away, and that's what verse 7 is all about. And, and, and so as he begins to realize that God has turned away from him, and, and he is grief-stricken, he is, he is just in the lowest of lows. He's in the bottom of that roller coaster. He is in the pit. And, and, it, and it wasn't until he humbled himself. It wasn't until he humbled himself and he confessed his sin that he began to restore his relationship with God and he began to exchange the grief of his sin. Because guess what? We experience grief when we recognize that we've sinned. And he was only when he was able to acknowledge that sin and confess it that he experienced the joy that comes in the morning. And, and, and we, we look at David's life and we're like, how could he do that? Like, how could he? He was a man after God's own heart. How could he commit adultery? How could he commit murder? But we do the same thing in our lives. Like, especially when things are going well, we look around. We look around at our lives when things are going well. And we're like, look at what I did. Like, life is pretty good. Look at the things that are going on. Look at all I've done. Look at my great job, look at my amazing family, look at my home, look at all this stuff. But we need to be humble as David realized and recognized that everything we have, everything we have is a gift from God. And it leads us into the next thing we need to do, which is the fourth one is we need to remember to be grateful. Not only do we need to humble ourselves, but we need to remember to be grateful as David looks back over his entire experience, the roller coaster ride that he went on, he ends the psalm with these words. He says, Oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. He's like, That roller coaster ride was worth every minute. I'd do it all over again because I remember the blessings that you have gifted me with, Lord. He is so grateful for all that God's done for him. And we should be grateful as well. Like, let me just encourage you over this next week to count your blessings. Like, don't count the miseries in your life. Don't count the grief, but take some time to count your blessings. Like, I would even invite you to gather uh, your family, whatever that looks like, gather your family around and say, hey, let's just take the next 30 minutes and count our blessings. Like, let's just go around the table and count the blessings in our lives. Like, let's talk about the things that God has blessed us with. And, and so, but here's what happens is we get ourselves into trouble. 
and we begin to look at what other people have, and we begin to compare our lives to other people's lives, and we begin to think of all the things that we don't have based on the things that other people do have, and we forget to give God thanks for all the things he's given us. So let me just encourage you again. Like, Christmas Day, let's not compare, well, she got that, and I didn't get that, and she got, he got that, and I didn't get that, and don't compare, but take some time to say, you know what, time out. Like, before we even open these gifts, let's go around, and let's just count our blessings and give God thanks for the amazing things he's given us, the gifts that he's given us. Listen, we, when we count our blessings and we give thanks to God, it helps lift us out of the grief that we're in into a place of joy. You can't be grief-stricken and count your blessings and not experience joy. Finally, the last thing that we learned from David is we need to learn to wait on the Lord. We need to be patient. We need to be patient and we need to wait on God to do what God does. We are not very good at this. You know this. We are not people that are patient people. We don't wait well. Like we're sitting there in the microwave's 45 seconds. We're like, this is taking forever, right? Like we're putting some ramen noodle soup in the microwave and we're waiting that, that 45 seconds and we're like, come on, hurry up. We kept looking and it's not fast enough. We don't wait very well. We're not patient people. Uh, we are in such a hurry and we're also in such a hurry to fix things. Like when we're experiencing grief, we're in a hurry to fix it and we pull out our bag of tricks and we try and fix it right away. Men, we're the worst at this because we love to fix things. And I'll tell you, after 13 years of marriage, that Jen and I have this, uh, we have this communication thing going on now uh, that we didn't have at first. And, uh, and so um, sometimes she would share her thoughts with me and I just want to fix it, right? Like I just go into fix it mode. I pull out my bag of tricks and start trying to fix it. And now she knows to say, hey, I'm really struggling right now but I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. I just need you to listen. And let's, let's just wait on God. But we don't like to do that. Like we don't like to wait on God. But sometimes we need to be patient and wait on God. And, and, and we see here that God uh, is the one doing all the work. And David's story, like David doesn't look at God and say, hey God, I've turned my morning into dancing. Look what I did. He doesn't say that. He says, God, you did that. In, my, in the midst of my grief, grief, you turn my mourning into dancing. He doesn't say, God, I clothed myself with gladness. Look at what I did. I pulled gladness on one pant leg at a time. Look at what I did. He doesn't say that. He says, God, you did that. You took the sackcloth away from me. You took the grief away from me, and you put me, you clothed me with gladness. You see, he waits and he relies on God, and that's so hard for us to do. So hard for us to do, but because God doesn't always act quick enough, right, in our mind. Like, God's not doing it fast enough. I've been praying, God's not answering. I've been asking, God's not giving, and he's not acting quick enough, but sometimes for our own good. Like, God waits so that we can learn from our circumstances. He waits so we'll learn to depend on him. He waits so we'll learn to trust him in our circumstances. So we need to be willing to wait patiently on God. We need to be humble. We need to be grateful. We need to look and remember what God has done for us in the past. 
So you see, Jesus gives me joy in exchange for my grief when I view my circumstances in light of God's character. When you know who God is and you know that he's the God of joy and you know he's the God that rescues you, you can wait in those moments and exchange your grief for joy. Our joy is grounded in the God who created joy. Weeping, it may indeed tarry for a night. It may go on for several nights, but the joy of the morning is always coming. And listen, on that first Christmas, Jesus became Emmanuel, God with us. Some translations say that God moved back into the neighborhood. And so Jesus was born a little baby through a young couple. But we need to remember that God didn't remain a baby, did he? He didn't stay in the manger. But God grew up. He became a man. And he lived 33 and a half years of a life without sin. Meaning he never once sinned in all 33 and a half years of his life. And then in the most selfless act in history, he gave up his own life. And he went on the cross in order to pay the penalty for your sin and for mine. And then after he died on the cross, he didn't stop there. He was placed in a grave, but God restored his life and raised him from the pit. And God did that for a purpose. He did that for a reason. He did it to make it possible for every person to become a child of the living God. Listen, our world says that, oh, we're all children of God. I'm here to tell you that we're not. Only those who have placed their trust in Jesus are children of God. And when we become a child of God, one of the greatest gifts we receive is the ability to turn our grief into joy. But remember, only those who make a decision to place their faith in Jesus receive the gift. Only those who say yes to Jesus as their Lord and Savior receive that gift. That is the required first step if you want to take part in the greatest gift exchange that ever happened. And for those of us that have already said yes to Jesus, let me, let me tell you this, and I want you to hear that, that Jesus would like nothing more, nothing more than to take your grief and give you joy in return. But in order for that to happen, sometimes we have to follow the roller coaster that David did we have to apply these principles that we talked about today. Sometimes we have to remember how God's worked in our past. Sometimes we have to remember that my trouble's only temporary. It's not going to last forever. Sometimes we have to humble ourselves and be grateful. And sometimes we have to be patient and patiently wait on God. Life is indeed a roller coaster. It is it's full of ups and downs. Sometimes we spend some time up in the high 
apexes, the high points. Sometimes we have to spend some time in the valleys. But all of us are going to experience grief from time to time. But the good news is this. The good news is that Christmas, Christmas makes it possible for us to give Jesus that grief in exchange for pure joy. In the Christmas story, there's a part of the story where the shepherds are coming. The angels sang in the shepherd fields and they came and they come to the manger and they find Jesus laying in the manger just as the angels had said. And they got so excited, but there's a point in, that, in, the, in Luke where he says, but Mary, Mary treasured those things in her heart. Because here's what happened in Mary's life. In that moment where she gave birth to the Son of God, he exchanged her grief for joy. And if you will come to the manger and you will receive Jesus, the greatest gift ever given, you too can exchange your grief for joy. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for Christmas. God, I thank you for how the Christmas story reminds us of so many things. For me, this year, it reminds me of this exchange of gifts that took place. That when you came from up there to down here in the form of a baby, that you exchanged our life of sin for a life of freedom. That you exchanged our life of worry for the gift of peace. That you took our hurts and you exchanged them for your supernatural comfort. And you took our griefs and you gave us joy. Lord, I know there's some people in here today that they're experiencing some grief in their lives, some burdens, some heavy burdens. And Lord, some have been carrying it for a short time. Some have been carrying that burden for a while. Lord, I pray that today, today would be the day that they would exchange that heavy burden of grief and they would receive your joy, a joy that they've never experienced before, that this Christmas would be the Christmas that joy came into their lives like never before. And God, if there's someone in this room today who's never given their life to you, that that's the real first step to experience your joy, your peace, your love, your comfort. The whole reason you came is so that we might say yes to you. So Father, if there's someone here this morning that's never said yes to you, that today would be the day that they would exchange their life that's full of sin, full of grief, full of um, sadness. They would exchange that life for a life filled with you. And with you comes joy and hope and peace and comfort and joy. And Lord, it's simple. 
all we do is we recognize that we are sinful. We recognize that our lives are filled with sin, that we've done so many things that have grieved you. And Lord, we confess those things just like David did. And we say we're sorry. And we ask you to come and be our Lord and our Savior, to be the light in our life, to be the joy and the hope and the purpose in our life. So if that's you today. I just invite you right now just to say, Jesus, would you come? Come and be the Lord of my life. Would you be my king? I know that I have messed up. I know I've screwed up. I know I've done some things that have hurt you and hurt others. And I give those things to you. I confess them to you. And I exchange them for your freedom. And I exchange them for your joy and your love. Just come, Lord. Be my king today. And Lord, for the rest of us, in our moments of grief, may we remember who you are that you're a God that takes care of us even in our lowest moments. And you take our grief and you exchange it for joy. Oh, thank you for Christmas, Lord. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, we're going to sing this last song. And I want to invite you to sing it with all the joy you can muster in your life. Like, I don't want you to just sing it like, I want you to give it all you've got. I want you to sing with great joy in your hearts. And if you're here today and you need to spend some time with the Lord, I invite you to come. You're welcome to come up here and pray and spend as much time as you want. Maybe maybe you need to confess some things. Maybe you need to come and maybe you need to count your blessings. Like maybe you just need to spend some time on your knees counting your blessings. Maybe you need to offer your grief to the Lord in exchange for his joy. Whatever it is, this is for you. You come, and if you want someone to pray with you, I'm right here on the front row. I'd be honored to pray with you. But let's stand together, and with as much joy as we can muster, let's sing this song together.